This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, this is Pat Pearson, and you're listening to a podcast called Stop Self-Sabotage, brought to you by Hot Pie Media. Self-criticism. We all do it. We all nag ourselves. We wag our finger at ourselves and say, you didn't exercise today. You didn't make those calls. Why aren't you picking up all your clothes like you said you would? Nag, 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 nag. Now, I know that most of us are not going to be able to change all of our self-criticism, but here's my idea. If we can even turn down the volume 10 to 20%, we will have so much more energy. It will be astounding. What is self-criticism? Why do we do it to ourselves? Where did we learn it? And how, more importantly, can we change it around? So let's start off with what it is. You know, basically, self-criticism is that nagging voice in our brain that says, you should, you ought, you didn't do it right, what's wrong with you, you didn't finish this, you should have done that. You know, I, I get even tired just hearing myself talk about it. And it's that that critical parent inside of us that doesn't let us off the hook, that blames us and shames us for what we haven't done rather than paying attention to what we have done right. Let me give you a little personal account. You know, I um, recently just came back from vacation and my husband and I were on a great vacation. We were having a great time and inadvertently, of course, he lost the camera and he lost the camera with all of our pictures on it. Now, that's not a happy moment, you know, when we have that experience together. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, right? So I sort of let it go and moved on. Now, what I didn't know is that my husband, who is a very sweet and thoughtful guy, was very, very upset that he'd lost all these pictures. And for the next two or three days, he was beating himself up inside about that. Now, what I did know is that he wasn't very present, he wasn't having a great time, where I was trying to be on vacation, and he wasn't really connecting. So finally, I sat down and I said, what's going on? What are you upset about, you know? Um, sometimes it's uh, no fun having a therapist as a wife, but uh, at this time, it, it kind of helped, because he said, I'm just so mad at myself, I'm so upset. And I said, okay, well, let's, you know, talk about that. He talked about it. And finally, we got to the point of just saying, okay, it's done. Let's let it go next. But if he hadn't been able to talk about it, he still would have stayed in that self-critical place. He would have beat himself up and missed the rest of the vacation. Now, luckily, he was able to get it out of him and he moved through it. But most of us get caught up in our self-criticism at some point about something. And so we have to look at how critical are we. Now, no one can know this about you any uh, any better than you know it about yourself. But let me give you a little test. Let's pretend that you are at a shopping mall or a grocery store and you lock your car. And you go into the grocery store and you get all your food and get everything handled. And you come back out and you found that you've locked your keys in the car. So now you are at this moment and I want you to take a second, go inside and listen to what you say to yourself. You know, are you saying, you idiot, you shouldn't have done that? What are you thinking? Rah, 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 rah. Or do you say something like, well, you know, I'm stressed. I'm running on low energy. I'm challenging myself everywhere. And no wonder it happened. Now, you may not say that immediately. You may go to the negative first. But how long does it take you to move through that and get to a more accepting experience. Now, we all uh, need to be able to understand how this develops in us. Let me share with you from my self-sabotage book, the story of how you develop a self-critical attitude. Four-year-old Johnny is outside playing with his puppy. It's a lovely spring morning, and they're having a fine time jumping and chasing each other. Like most children, Johnny isn't very attentive to details. He leaves the gate open, and the puppy runs out. Crying, he goes to his mother. My puppy dog ran away. His mother has had a horrible day with problem after problem. This presents one more frustration that she just can't handle. She says angrily, you bad boy. How many times have I told you to shut that gate? Now take the same situation with the different characters. Four-year-old Steve comes running, crying to tell his mom the puppy has run away. This mother says, oh, honey, you must feel awful to lose your puppy. Let's go see if we can find him. 
Now, Johnny's mother criticized and added guilt to his pain. For him, it was a lesson in how to be self-critical. Steve, who was nurtured in his sadness and then helped to fix the problem, learned a positive alternative. Both children feel sad at the loss of the puppy, but Johnny gets sadness plus guilt, which equals depression. Depression is not naturally healing. If Johnny learns to put himself down for every error, he can stay depressed and critical of himself all of his life. Steve also feels sad, but he has the support of his mother. Sadness plus nurturing equals grief, which is naturally healing. After a period of grieving, he will return to normal, and his deserve level will remain intact, and he will not be stamped with blame. One incident won't make you self-critical, but hundreds and hundreds of incidences do create a deep personal doubt, criticism, and a low deserve level. So what we have to be able to do is to change our self-criticism. And it becomes a routine. That's the reason it's so powerful, because we don't even hear it anymore. It's like that radio playing in the back of your head that you're not really listening to, but that it's constantly um, giving you the same kind of negative static. First of all, let's talk about the first thing to quiet self-criticism is to notice when it's happening. Number one, notice when it happens. A certain thing has to happen each time before you start criticizing yourself. Become aware of your thoughts and feelings when you start to disapprove of yourself. Have you cultivated your pattern of thinking and feeling from repetition and habit? You can consciously stop yourself and interrupt the patterns. So first of all, you have to get conscious. You have to notice it. Then, second, boldly question yourself. When you start to disapprove and criticize yourself. Question those thoughts. Ask yourself what your inner critic is trying to achieve. Is your inner self trying to protect you from taking risks? Challenge it. Have a conversation with yourself and boldly keep questioning each remark and judgment. You can say things like, I don't deserve that. Or where did that come from? Or I don't like this. I'm going to stop saying this. Whatever. Question yourself. Number three, use different words to describe your experiences. Words are the language you use can make or break you. When you criticize yourself, you use words. The words affect your emotions and body sensations and then affect your state of mind. Learn to use different words to describe your emotions and experiences. Refuse to say that you're stupid or useless or you're bad or wrong. Instead of saying that you've messed up, tell yourself a different story. Your subconscious will eventually believe whatever you repeatedly voice and make them your reality. This is where you pivot. You pivot in the words that you use. And you start saying, um, instead of saying, I'm stupid, I'm, uh, you may say, I'm stressed. Or you may say, I am challenged here. Or you may say, I made a bad choice. Or something other than blame and shame. Number four, except that there's no failure, just feedback. When something goes wrong or you've made a mistake, accept that as feedback instead of calling yourself a failure. When you're thinking about failures and what went wrong, you are unable to look at what is right and what needs to be done. What that really does is lower your ability to handle the situation. Because now, like my example with my husband, you have an internal dialogue going on uh, subconsciously or, or under the under what you're doing that is beating you up. It's like taking a bat to your head every day or all the time. And then you're trying to go back about your daily activities or trying to be successful. And it can't work. You can't have two of those things going on. So we need to build resiliency, emotional resiliency. Develop within you the strong compulsion to learn and grow and master your life. Knowing what you want will give you life meaning and your direction. Now, instead of saying, I'm wrong or bad, say, what can I learn from this? How how can I develop from this? What is the message in this for me? So, focus on what you want, not on how bad you've been. Number five, refuse to give yourself a bad time. Life and people are sometimes unfair. Look and find the positive in the people and the outcome. You know, this is um, influenced by a book called Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman. But stop personalizing everything. It's not all about you. It's about uh, other people and other choices, and it's about activities. It's about environmental issues. So refuse to give yourself a bad time. 
Just say, I'm a little off. From now on, become aware of your self-criticism. Learn to laugh at yourself instead. It's no point giving yourself a bad time and feeling bad. Refuse to give yourself insulting remarks or judging or disapproving yourself of yourself because it will make you feel disempowered and unresourceful. Resiliency, emotional resiliency, has to do with the ability to accept that something went wrong and to, you may feel bad about it, I understand that, but not to stay there to pivot away from the negative and back to something that makes you feel better. This is not taught in school. We didn't learn it growing up. What we learned to do was make ourselves feel worse and worse and worse. And what we have to do now to have a breakthrough in our life and in our business is to stop that routine and put in a better one. So the issue in self-criticism, the why of self-criticism, is that we learned it. We learned it from our families. We learned it from school. I have never met anyone who is not self-critical to some extent. Now, this isn't a blame. It's in the culture. Um, our parents criticize themselves, too, and so we pass on what we do to ourselves. But all of us don't like it. We don't like it when we criticize ourselves. Our kids don't like it when we criticize them. Our spouses don't like it. And so... It seems to me that it makes good sense emotionally and relationally and for business, by the way, to learn to stop it. And why we do it is not as important as how to stop it. Now, the how has to do with a couple different things. Number one, we are trained in either or thinking. Things are either good or bad, right or wrong. I'm a winner or I'm a loser. And this duality of thinking um, is not complex enough to keep us feeling good. Now, what I mean by that is that if we, in our minds, put everything into good or bad or right or wrong categories, we immediately limit our ability to be flexible. And as we all know, life isn't that clear. You know, there are lots of gray areas. And sometimes the thing that you thought was the worst can become the best thing that you've ever done. We all know that. So this either or thinking has to stop. You're not a winner or a loser. You're um, you're on a process to learning and growing in your business, in your life, in your health. And you're not perfect, but hopefully you're going down the right road. So instead of going either or thinking, we have to move to process thinking. Process thinking is that we celebrate the process. We celebrate and recognize small efforts towards a bigger goal. None of us go from zero to a thousand in one day. It doesn't happen that way. There are significant steps we need to take on a daily basis to move us towards a bigger goal. I'll share with you one of my goals. For the last 20 years, 20 years, I've wanted to have one of my books published by a major publisher. And I haven't worked on it every day, but I have constantly been thinking about it and working on it in some way. And this year, in in uh, December, McGraw-Hill, which is a big major publisher, will publish my Stop Self-Sabotage book. Now, that is something that I have been working on and making small efforts for, uh, for at least intensely for the last three years. And that's a long time. And if I'd seen it as either or, either I'm going to get it or I'm a loser, I never would have continued tenaciously doing that. So we have to recognize that our life is an accumulation of small efforts made on a daily basis and that we need to make that effort and then celebrate it. And that helps us get out of our self-criticism of not doing it all and not doing it well and not doing it today. The next thing we need to look at is the difference between I want to statements and I have to statements. It's fascinating because um, in most of our businesses, we come into the business and we're excited. We want to sell these products. We want to talk to people about our our opportunity, our products, because they've helped us and we feel good about that. It's a little bit like, you know, when you get out of uh, school and it's a beautiful summer day and you you wake up and you're just so excited to go out and play and have fun and, and have that great experience. And we live in that for a while. Then something shifts. And we move from the I want to's to the I have to's. And I have to's are the shoulds, the oughts. That's the um, club we use to beat ourselves up with. I should make more phone calls. I ought to be recruiting more. I should get on the treadmill. I ought to um, 
I don't know, save more money. And so we take that summer day and that fun and that good feeling we have, and we've now made it cold, wet, miserable, you know, have to trudge, get out of a nice, you know, warm bed and get out there and do something. And you can just feel it. You can feel the different energy. What we want to do with our business and with ourselves is diminish the self-talk about I have to's and I should and get back to what do I want to do. The only way we can re-energize ourselves is talk about it and feel it differently. Said another way, we got to move out of making our life or our business the cold, wet, miserable day and go back to the summer, fun, shiny, bright day. And how do we do that? Well, we're going to talk about that right now. I want you to ponder this question for a minute. Robert Schuler said, what one great thing would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Think about that. Now, we've got to kick the habit of self-criticism. That's our next step. How often do you really criticize yourself? Well, research shows that up to 90% of people's thoughts are critical or judgmental. 90%. That's a lot. And the vast majority of these are aimed at one at oneself. Here's how to be kinder to yourself and boost your confidence and ability to be successful. The good news is that once you realize you're doing it, we've learned it, this mental tape, we put it in, we play it over and over. I'm not good enough. I didn't do it well enough. I don't deserve anything good or some variation of these themes. And of course, we bring it into our working lives and that makes enjoying your career and being good at it a whole lot harder. The good news is that once you realize you're doing this, we've talked about that, you have a choice whether to carry on. Think about a friend you really value. If she or he felt that they got something wrong or weren't good enough and they came to you and they told you that, you would really quickly reassure them. So why treat yourself any differently? A best friend would do these things for you. But if you can go one better and do them for yourself, in other words, we want you to be your own best friend. Here's how. Number one, you need to praise yourself. Now, this is hard for most of us, but all the behavioral research shows that with enough praise, even a a horribly behaved child can be turned around into a well-behaved child. And there's always something to praise in everyone. So you're in the best position to know how hard you work, how well you do, how many things you succeed in, and how much you care. So pile on the praise. One of the things my husband and I try to do after a long day is sit down and have a moment together before dinner and say what went right. And uh, to try to own some of that, that we made something go right. We, We were part of it. Number two, use affirmations. These are positive statements that have been proven to powerfully affect uh, change of our, our attitudes. You must always be in the present tense as though you were already true. So you say, I'm great at my job. I get appreciated for what I do. I love what I do and I succeed easily. Come up with your own, write them down, put them somewhere prominent so you can read them. Number three, repeat. Repeat the positive affirmations and positive self-talk. It needs to be repeated as often as possible. That way it really goes in and leaves less room for the negative stuff. What we're really doing here is changing your habits. And if you learn how to change, to stop the negative habit and put it in a more positive habit, after you do this repetitively for a number of weeks, you will see a huge change. You know, it's interesting that um, negative uh, talk, self-talk also affects longevity. They found out that, that optimists live 30% longer than pessimists. And they're now starting with people who've had heart attacks to train them and how to talk to themselves positively about their recovery. Because they're finding out the people who are positive about, I can handle this, I'm going to get better, I'm going to get on a great exercise routine, live five to ten years longer than people who aren't. So it's not just that this is nice to do. It's not just that that it would make you feel better. It's going to help you live longer, make more money, and feel better. Number four, notice the good stuff. Because we usually, we don't. We experience and accept and expect the good stuff. We notice what goes wrong. 
We're too busy focusing on the one awful thing that happened in the day to notice the kind comment from a workmate or a praise we got from our, our uh, spouse. Notice them now and replay them to yourself. Write them down. Put them in a wonderful me box uh, or envelope. And, and go back to it and read them. Get a file with positive statements in it that people have made and that you've made to yourself. And when you're really down, pull out the file. And then create an environment that encourages risk-taking. To do so, you must allow people and yourself not to be fearful of making mistakes. Display this quote for all to see. The greatest mistake you can make in life is to be continually fearing you will make one. Overall, the way to pivot and to change self-criticism into something much more positive and create the attitude that you want is to use these techniques we've just talked about to take a small, substantial change and keep doing it over and over and over. Even a 10% or 20% um, review and retalking to yourself can make a huge difference in how you feel. And that's what we want. We're in our leading expert section, and I am talking with my friend Kathy Peel. Hi, Kathy. Great to be with you again, Pat. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. Kathy, you are the family manager. You, I mean, your resume is so impressive. I'm just sitting here looking here. Oh, all the radio shows. Tell us, sold over two million copies of 19 books. Oh my gosh. Tell us a little bit about you, and give us um, a little bit of your background and passion for helping women. Well, Pat, I started off as a very domestic challenged young wife and then I became a mother and I wanted to make my home a good place to be. I wanted to reach my own potential as a woman. I wanted to have good relationships in my family. I didn't have a clue as to how to go about doing this. And so I began a self-education process Mm -hmm. and collecting ideas about how to rear children, how to personally grow and develop into my own, uh, you know, personal best, how to have a great marriage, how to make my home a place so that everybody walked through the door, they said, this is a good place to be. Mm. And so I I realized pretty early on in the game that business strategies, my business background growing up, uh, I had to work in our family retail clothing stores. And Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, why do we argue over the same things every day? We need some standard operating procedures around here. (laughs) And I began seeing that the very strategies that run any business or organization well will run a home well. And my family became, they they were the guinea pigs, the beta test (laughs) on, you know, does team building work? Will advanced work help? What if instead of getting up in the morning and thinking, oh, I've got so much to do, I don't know where to start, what if I ran my home by departments? Because there are some departments that sure made sense to me. And Pat... I can't tell you, I am a sane, happy person today, (laughs) and our family is still a family team. Bill and I have a wonderful marriage after 36 years. Our boys are grown, two of them are married, and we're still a team. And I want what we have for other women and other families. And if I can do this, anybody can do this, because I started so far in the hole. Yeah, well, I understand. I mean, and you have certainly come out of that hole beautifully. Now, um, let's just, I mean, just want my uh, listeners to know some of the things that you do. Now, you're AOL's family and kids coach, and you've written so many articles, can't even begin it, but Family Circle, Reader's Digest, Parenting, Home Life, and two times or more times than that on Oprah. What? Wow. Oh, unbelievable. Tell us a little bit about what the family manager is and how long you've been doing this. Well, I started 20 years ago. Yeah. I thought, you know, I think I can help some other moms who are stressed. You know, they feel badly about themselves, about their home. They're not reaching their potential. They stood at the altar and said, I do and I will. But they didn't say, I will create a chaotic home. And right. it just kind of happened. Right. So I started 20 years ago thinking, how can I help as many busy moms as possible, and it started by I self-published my first book, uh-huh, uh-huh. and once and that kind of took off. I sold fifteen thousand out of my living room in nine weeks, and I've never had a marketing course oh, in my life. My goodness! But oh my we goodness! Just, we just try, uh, tried a lot of different things, and we prayed a lot, and uh, it's. It's, I'm just passionate about. I don't give up easily when I believe in something, and I really believe in this. 
so that the books led to, um, I thought, well, you know what? I should be on the staff of a magazine. So I started sending in unsolicited ma- magazine articles, meaning they didn't ask me to write them, but I sent them in anyway. Right. And then sending in ideas for television segments. And I, I set a goal to do something every day, one thing every day, to, you know, send out a pitch, to make a call. And it's it's very much the same as whatever business you're building. And, and I, I'm just, you know, passionate about this. And then I'm honored that I got to start doing a lot of television and radio and, gosh, you know, my... I guess twentieth book is coming out soon, wow. but it you know it's a little it happens for all of us one day at a time. That's right. That's it right. It does. And then I would read books by people who you know they were just successful, and I I so believe in that. Just hanging around other successful, inspiring people via either book or mm-hmm. CD tape, mm-hmm. like you're doing, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know just. Hanging around those people, you might not be present with them in the room, but you can hang around with them. That's right, and you it, can, and you can have a a, a a collective mind with them. Yes. You don't have to know everything. All you have no. to do is be open to learning something new. That's what you, I think, you know. And you do, and pick up on, you know, well, that person wrote one thank you note a day, and that person made one call every day, you know, or averaged seven a week, or maybe ten a day, whatever it was, and I would just learn. A little bit from each person, and it just it is has grown. And then now uh, I've started what's called family manager coaching mm-hmm. because I can't be everywhere for right. all the people who say, "Oh, can you come help me with you know whatever it is about their family management that they're feeling badly about?" And it might be helpful to our listeners for me to just go over quickly those seven departments that every single yes. one of us runs. Yes, let's. And this is from the Busy Mom's Guide to a Happy Organized Home, right? And this is your new book. Yes, coming yes. out. Okay. And this so, is basically a family manager system. Divide your responsibilities in your home into seven departments. You mm-hmm. have to run your home and property, and that's taking care of all your stuff, from the laundry to the roof, the vehicles, uh, the floors, everything like that. Then you run the food department, and, of course, that's grocery shopping and meal planning and menus and entertaining. Then the family and friends department. These are the, your relationship responsibilities. You've got to keep up with your end of the marriage. You've got to rear your children and take care of your aging mother and keep up with your friends. Then there's the finance department. And many, many women run run this department in their home. Mm-hmm. And then there's the special events. This is where you oversee holidays, <laughs> vacations, special occasions. Then time and scheduling. This is getting the right people to the right place at the right time with the right equipment. And last but not least is self-management because we've got to manage ourselves well if we're going to manage all these things at home well. And then probably most of our listeners, like me, have a home-based business. Mm-hmm. And it is possible to run a great home-based business and to manage these things well. But there are some strategies to understand. And the number one is out of those seven departments, no one is good at all seven. Good to hear. Typically, we're good at two of them, and it's very important to know what you're good at. And just to keep working on the things you're not good at, but as many of those really weak departments, typically people have two really weak or out-of-control departments, those are things, as much as possible, you want to delegate. I love hearing that. I love hearing that because, you know, I've talked for a long time, Kathy, that I only do about two things well. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear I'm on the national average. Well, yourself on the back for doing those well. (laughs) That's right. And that's what makes life good. When we concentrate on what we do well, and, you know, those of us, you know, we're juggling running a home and family and running a business. It's so important that we understand when other people ask us to do things, and these may be Good things. They may be volunteering at our child's school or at our church or synagogue or in the community. Do not say yes to those things. A, if they're going to take you away from what you have decided are your core priorities in life, okay? And B, don't say, don't, if you're not good in the finance department or in the special events department, don't say yes to being PTA treasurer or orchestrating, you know, the Christmas party for your, you know, the office, your husband's office. Say yes according to how you're gifted and wired. 
Mm. And that helps a lot. That but, is, that's a wonderful thought. Say that again, Kathy. Well, when we are not doing things that we are gifted at, and we're not, none of us is gifted in those seven areas, right. okay, those seven departments. The, if we volunteer for things uh, that we're not gifted, those are going to be drains, not only of our time, but of our energy and our resources. And it's so important that we make decisions when people call us, oh, it, we can't let them guilt us, and I use that as a verb. Usually, yes, uh-huh. guilt, the, guilt us into saying, "Oh, we really need you to be treasurer of the PTA, or we really need for you to oversee the Christmas program, you know, for um, the school or for the office or for this wonderful." These are all wonderful things. Don't get me wrong, but you've got all of us busy women. We have got to be wise about what we say yes to, and what we what we do, because many women I meet, Pat are trying to do too many things in 24 hours. Exactly. And the net, the net outcome from that is that they're harried, um, you know, feel awful and are very self-critical. Yes. And they, because they feel like they're not doing anything well. That's right. That's right. Which the truth is they're probably doing a number of things well, but they're not celebrating it or focusing on it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about here. Why do you think so many women struggle with self-criticism? Pat, we are bombarded daily with messages from so many forms of media that tell us we need to be good at everything, mm-hmm. that we need to be perfect wives, mothers, we have to have perfect bodies, we have to have our retirement all in place, we have to be you know, healthy, wealthy, wise, and, and then we look in the mirror and say, oh, wow, you know, I was impatient this morning, I'm such a loser, or... You know, I do not weigh what I want to weigh. I'm such a loser. Or so-and-so is making more money than I am. I'm such a loser. And we're just so hard on ourselves. Instead, I like the way you put it a minute ago, uh, celebrating the things we do well. Mm-hmm. And that is such a key to success in our personal life, in all areas of life. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, okay, I did not go to the gym today. Instead of saying, oh, I'm such a loser because I didn't. Instead say, you know what? I was not able to go to the gym, but you know what? I drank eight ounces, uh, eight glasses of water and I took my vitamins. So I did something good for my body and tomorrow's a new day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And concentrating on what we do right because it's so easy to get in a mentality of, I just don't do anything well. Yeah, and we, you know, we overgeneralize. Right. You know, and so we see one thing that fell off the, you know, fell off the, uh, the turnip truck, and then we say everything's bad, you know, which isn't the truth. The truth is a lot of things are really working very well. But we don't, you don't pay attention to that. So part of it is what I'm hearing you say, Kathy, is we've got to pay attention to what we're doing right. Yes. And to stop beating mm-hmm. ourselves for everything that we're not perfect at. Now, a lot of women say they're so busy and they can't find the time to achieve their goals or their personal goals or business goals. Um, and they get down on themselves because of that. And what you were just saying, then they dig a deeper hole. What can they do to get back on track? Because I know there are people sitting out there right now, Kathy, going, well, this is all well and good for Susie or Kathy or Pat or somebody who's got it all together, but not me. But we want to talk to people. We want to really talk to everyone in, in terms of their feeling state. How can they get back on track? Most women I meet, they say, oh, I'm so busy. I just don't have time to reach my goals or do what I want to do during the day. Something that has saved my sanity, Pat, is it's called a daily hit list. Mm-hmm. And you can download those free from my website, familymanager.com. But here's what it is. You look at those seven departments of your life, the home and property, the food, the finances, those things that we mentioned, and you use 3D words. Okay, every morning, what am I going to do? What can I delete? Because, you know, a lot of women are trying to do too much during the day. And then what can I delegate? Mm-hmm. And then look at your professional life and building your business and, and do the same things there. What am I going to do today? I just find that so many women are trying to do too. They think, oh, I've got to vacuum every day because my mother vacuumed every day. And you know what? You really don't need to vacuum every day. <laughs> you really don't. Really and don't. you need to get your house and your kids on board to help. I find so many women that they don't get through their daily 
uh, list of things they want to accomplish because they're trying to be everyone else's personal maid for mm. whatever reason. That is not healthy for anyone. It's not healthy healthy for us as women. It's not healthy for the marriage. It's not healthy for the kids. And so I suggest, you know, have a family meeting. And uh, there's another document on, that's free to download. It's uh, on my website, familymanager.com. It, it's called Who's Responsible for What? And if those... if our listeners will just get that document and then set a time to meet with their family. And th- this is a, a document that has lists all the things that have to be done in a home to keep some modicum of sanitation in order. And quite frankly, they don't understand. Mm-hmm. But if they are enjoying the income that mom is bringing in, they need to understand that running this home is a full-time job. And, you know, a ch- children have full-time jobs as school is their career and your spouse probably has a full-time job, they have to understand that everyone has to pitch in and run the home so everybody can do their work, their business, and do and fulfill their career calling. Mm-hmm. And this helps so much to see it in black and white and to talk about uh, how to split up those, those tasks at home. And another thing I, I, I like to tell uh, women is, please, if you are officing at home, you know, and you're running your home and family as a full-time family manager, and then you're running your business and building it, going great guns out there, please turn off the TV. Mm. There is, I just, you know, I'll hug a woman. She'll just come up to me after I've given a presentation. She'll say, oh, you know, I just don't have time. And I'll look her in the eye and say, I love you, honey. And I do. But how much is the TV on at your house? And she'll say, well, you know, not much, because she doesn't realize that it's on. She's, well, you know, the morning shows are on, and, you know, I never miss Oprah. And I have one show in the middle of the day. I mean, Pat, we live in an age where there is no excuse to have the television on in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. If you are taking your job as your family manager's, uh, your, the manager of your family seriously, if you mm-hmm. take that seriously, and if you are taking your home-based business job seriously, I mean, any other job, right, you exactly. wouldn't have the television on in your office. Exactly. Exactly. That is, you know what? I have never in all the years I've been doing this, Kathy, have heard any of my guests, uh, my professional experts like yourself, say that. But I think that is, I mean, I think you've hit a core issue here. And I think one of the issues in that is that it's just too easy. We're all DD, we're all ADD to death. You know, we're all mm-hmm. distracted. Yes. And it's so easy if we have the TV on or if we're trying to do too many things at once, not to do any of them well. Right. And not to feel any kind of sense of accomplishment. And when you change that, it's just a little paradigm shift in your mind of thinking, mm-hmm. okay, I am a professional. I am the manager of my home and family, and that is an executive level position. You bet it and is. I am a business owner, okay? Mm-hmm. And I am going to do these things professionally and well. Now, I'm not saying turn your home into this cold corporate environment. No, I know. I'm just saying let's use our time wisely and be realistic about the things that distract us. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, I've never heard anyone say that. I think that is brilliant. I really do. Now, let's go back to the family meeting for a minute. Yes. You're basically talking about educating your husband and children as to the seven departments of mm-hmm. family managing and all the tasks that those entail because, you know, God bless them, they just don't think about it, you know? They right. just think it, you do it, you know, and it gets done. They don't think about it. And truly, it's not fair for us to ex- them to do to know what to do if I walked into my husband's office I would you know I would maybe be able to help him for with a few surface things but I don't know his deadlines or what resources he's got to work with we need to think of our our, our family team members in those terms mm-hmm. that we need to educate them mm-hmm. and w- before you have this meeting let me just give you a few tips be sure to schedule it at a time in the month when you feel reasonably emotionally stable and don't, <laughs> and don't schedule it during a big playoff game or something like that. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's on a Sunday night at 8.30 and everybody's winding down. Have some good food there and let them talk. Start and go one person at a time and look them in the eyes and say, you know, Liz, this might be your teenage daughter or your 8-year-old son, whatever. I want our home to be a great place to be. You know, I want it to be a place where we all enjoy coming in from the stress-filled world. 
we're all, you know, just growing in our, to our potential and enjoying life. What would make home a good place to be for you? And you need to just, you know, put duct tape over your mouth and listen <laughs> to each member of your family because they need to know that you care what they think. Mm-hmm. Then when it comes back around to your turn, you're going to lay out these, this, these sheets, who's responsible for what, and say, you know, I really want to be a great mom. I want to be a great wife. I want our home to be a good place. I want just to grow my business so we can have great family vacations and you can go to the schools and colleges that you want and we might be able to add onto the house or get another house, whatever it is you're saving for and, and whatever your goals are. But, and then say, but I, I need you to understand what it takes for our home just to run smoothly. And then you lay out these papers and trust me, they don't understand. Mm-hmm. They really don't. Mm-hmm. But your attitude and how you approach them is very, very key. I bet, yes. And don't approach them from anger or you haven't been doing it and I'm so mad at you. Right, right, right. And, and Take there the are a lot road. of women who need to fess up and, and realize, you know, maybe family members have tried to help in the past, but they haven't done it up to our standards. And we, some women need to lower their standards. They really mm-hmm. do. And I, I, I'll tell you just right there, I know there are some listeners thinking, well, we've tried that, you know, but my 15-year-old daughter won't help and my 8-year-old son, he just says forget, you know, they just won't do what I've, you know, we've all decided they should do, whether it's vacuuming once a week or taking out the trash or putting away their laundry. And I look at those moms in the face and I say, let me ask you something. Does that teenage daughter talk on the phone or watch television or I am her friend? And the answer 100% of the time is yes. And what about that son? Does he play video, computer games? Does he watch television? Yes. And I have to remind those moms and dads that those activities are not rights. Those are privileges, mm-hmm. and they are doing their children a disservice if they let them have those privileges before they fulfill their responsibilities. Nicely said. Nicely said, Kathy. I mean, this is this is tough love, and we all need to be a little tougher on this, because if not, we raise overindulged children, we're haggard and stressed right. and not present, and then we wonder why everything isn't working. Yes, we're, and then we get down on ourselves. We think, oh, gosh, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing everything for everybody else, which is not healthy, and you start feeling bad about that, and then you don't have time to take care of yourself, and fatigue is our enemy. Yes, yes. It is. Well, and what you're really saying, too, I mean, part of what you're saying from a psychological perspective is having boundaries and being clear about that with the people that you live with and not feeling guilty or feeling like you should do everything. Who in the world said that moms have to do everything for everybody? I'm not sure. Where did that come from? You know, I I never signed that contract. I never saw that deal. You know, we may have some listeners who are single parents or empty nesters. They're living alone for whatever reason. Uh, they're divorced, you know, for whatever reason, they're single. They say, well, you know, who am I going to delegate to? I don't have a team. Well, here's another good family manager business tip that will help you in this area. Find another uh, mom who or woman who she has different gifts in the the department. Let's just, uh, for example, let's just say your house is out of control. You know, you just really need to declutter, catch up, but you are a great cook, okay? Now, let's say you have a friend who, you know, her kids wear hard hats in the kitchen. She, She's just dangerous in the kitchen. <laughs> but she is a great organizer and housekeeper. It comes naturally to her. Just barter with her and say, hey, you know what? I'll come over to your house one afternoon, and we're going to cook up, you know, just a whole bunch of your family's favorite meals, get them in the freezer so that will save you time and you can spend more time on, you know, taking care of yourself or building your business or whatever it is you're not having enough time to do. And then you can return the favor by coming over to my house and spending a few hours one afternoon and helping me declutter and start getting some things organized. That is smart management. That is a great idea. That is a great idea. It works so well when moms will do that with each other because what you help each other catch up and then you have time in your own life for the things that you've decided are most important to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And 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 uh, the other part of that is that it's fun. Uh, now and do it with somebody else. Yeah, it's, really, it's more fun. Yeah. Now you've taken something that is that you 
you know, usually if you're not good at something, you, you usually avoid it or at least drag right. your feet through it. And then it gets worse. And then it gets <laughs> worse. And so now you've taken it and you've interjected this new uh, energy into it. And so now it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And it's getting and you're done. And your gifts and feel yeah. good, feeling good about that. It's a great, that's a great suggestion. You're just full of great suggestions, Kathy. I love this. You know, it's been out of desperation. <laughs> and continue. I mean, <laughs> boy, I just continue to try to learn because we mm. all want to do life well, Pat. We do. And life is challenging. We live in a great time in history, but I got to tell you, we have, you know, new challenges every day. And even with all the technology, and I love technology, but what what that has done is that we are never disconnected from the outside world, and that is not healthy. Mm-hmm. And we have to purposely say, okay, you know, for X amount of time, Maybe, you know, an hour every night. We're going to turn off all electronic devices, just mm-hmm. like they say in the plane. We need to do that in our home so we can connect with each other mm-hmm. or we can just, you know, um, take some time for ourselves. And then we'll find when we connect back with the world, go back into whatever we're doing, we're, you know, building our business, we're making calls, we're, we're more refreshed because we've been away and we've filled up our tank. That's right. That's right. And um, too often there's an assumption that we can just keep going. Right. And that's not true. No, we are not bionic. We're not. People, women, men, whoever, we burn out. We are overchallenged. And then we get all kinds of uh, negative um, cascading emotions and, and uh, negative uh, behaviors, none of which we want, none of which we ever thought we would get into, but we find ourselves there. Now, you put a high value on establishing routines. I, mm-hmm. I love that. Now, how can routines help a woman get on the road to becoming what she wants to be and out of this, out of this, you know, dip that we can get into? Well, I know you as a very highly educated psychologist know that really if you do something for 21 days, that on the 22nd day, it's harder not to do that activity than it was to do it on the first day. So start thinking about it and really use those seven departments. What routines or what uh, standard operating procedures do I want to build into my family? And if you think, well, I don't even know where to start, start looking at your recurring stressors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you find that, oh gosh, I go to the grocery store every day at five o'clock. And, you know, the lines are long, and I never know what I'm having for dinner. That's a recurring stress. So you might want to say, all right, I'm going to start the routine of shopping on Tuesday mornings really early. Now, the reason I say Tuesday mornings really early, that's just when I've found the best time. I've interviewed grocery executives, and the food is fresher, and the lines are shorter anyway on Tuesdays. Tuesday's always a better day to go, but... You know, when I go to the grocery store really early in the morning, I feel like I own the grocery store. And I can get in and out of there. I have my own personal checker because, you know, <laughs> hardly anybody's there. And you might, that might need to be your, you might need to start a routine so that you're not, you know, wasting time every afternoon. And I know women who have confessed to me that they go to the grocery store so much that they're embarrassed. So they have like three different grocery stores that they rotate between mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. the people at, that work at the grocery store just won't mm-hmm. think they are insane because they go so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and if we have listeners that this is your problem, we're not, please don't think I'm making fun because we all have areas like that. It might be that here's a quick routine that all of us can do, okay? You might start a routine tonight and say, okay, we're going to do the seven-minute nightly clean-up sprint around here, and that means sometime between dinner, after dinner, and bedtime, we're going to turn off the television, turn on some really great music, and we're going to spend seven minutes or 11 minutes. You choose. It doesn't matter how long, but this doesn't need to be too long. Mm -hmm. In our home, it was seven minutes, and we're going to all run around and put away today's clutters. We're going to pick up stuff. We're going to throw the last trash in the trash can and take it out. We're going to... Put the last dishes in the dishwasher, plump the sofa pillows, and everybody just does, you know, picks up a little bit. You might could do a little, some, if you have a, like a family of four or five, one person can run the vacuum cleaner or can run in the bathroom and just do a little bit of cleaning the bathroom. The mirrors and the sink, you can't do a lot in seven minutes, but I gotta tell you, Pat, 
if you do this every night as a family and it becomes a routine, you will be amazed at how you will start being able to keep up with the day's clutter and keep up with housework because you're doing it a little bit at a time and you're all working on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the big clean cleaning day, it's not as bad. Right, right. That's a great idea. That's just a simple little routine you could start. But, you know, I found, too, psychologically, and you're talking very practically and behaviorally, too, Kathy, I found that, you know, the real issue here is to take small bites, mm-hmm. to do less better, not to try to do more. Because everyone I know, the answer is, oh, I've just got to do more. Well, most of us are doing about as much as we ever could anyway. Yes. And so the answer isn't to do more. It's to find these tips. And I love these tips and techniques you're giving. And I know they're all in your book. And I hope everyone's going to get your book called The Busy Mom's Guide to a Happy Organized Home. Um, give me your website again, Kathy. FamilyManager.com. Okay. So they can go there. They can go to, I'm assuming, Amazon or or wherever and get it. Um, But these kind of specific, practical, de-stressing activities, If and I just want to challenge everyone who's listening to this, to take one of these things we've talking about the seven minute nightly cleanup, you know, disco night or something, (laughs) or, you know, or the take, you know, call one person a day, but small, specific behavioral change, 21 days, and their world can really pivot and turn around on that. It really can. And another um, good uh, motivator is accountability. If you have a friend, then just, I mean, everybody wants to make changes in their life, okay? And to say, you know what, would you hold me accountable? I really want to start spending, you know, I'm going to spend 30 minutes every single day making contacts or researching new contacts or whatever. Would you hold me accountable for that? Mm-hmm. And when you know you have to confess to somebody, or maybe it's something like, you know, I need to exercise more, you might say. Would you hold me accountable and just ask me? If I took my walk today, and if it was raining, did I get down on the floor and do some crunches? Did I do something good for my body? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we we did, we had we need to be there for each other too, and realize that hey, none of us is perfect. We are all, you know, in progress, and that's that's a good thing we can do for each other. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Well, on that note, I want to thank you for doing so much for us today and taking your very valued time and being on this um, uh, this interview with me. And Kathy, thank you so much for this. I mean, I I just taking I'm taking lots of notes here. I'm going, wow! I got to go home and talk to my husband. I got to give him more to do. <laughs> well, you're doing a great service with your messages for women. It's just it's a we we all need all the help we can get. We do, don't we? And you know, the other interesting thing is that you never know when one little bit of information will stick. You know, that stickiness factor. Right. And, and something it's, we'll it's, hear and we'll go, aha, there it is. Oh my gosh. And that can change a life. It can. Little, it, I love the, I, I just kind of try to live by this. First I make my decisions, then my decisions make me. And every day we all have many choices. M-A-N-Y. Many choices. But it is the many choices, M-I-N-I, many, the small choices we make that really make a difference in our life. Small Mm -hmm. changes make a huge difference. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, Kathy, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Pat. You bet. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.